Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here. And if this is your first time joining us at Vineyard Altoona, I'm so thankful for for just you taking the, the time to check us out. And I really hope this is beneficial for you. I hope I get to meet you sometime soon. Uh, we're going to go ahead and continue uh, in our series. But I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, uh, one of the things that was popular was the Nintendo. Now, for those of you who, when I say Nintendo, immediately think a Nintendo Switch or a Nintendo DS, no, I'm talking about the original Nintendo, you know, where Super Mario was born. And uh, if you don't really know what that is, come along with me anyway. Uh, All of the kids around me would talk about playing their Nintendos. And I really felt like an outsider. You know, I didn't have a Nintendo. What I had was an Atari, which if you don't know what that is, just imagine all of your friends are drinking brand name Coca-Cola and you've got your Walmart Cola. It's kind of like that. So, uh, but you know, so I had my Atari. Well, I felt like the outsider. All the kids had this thing they would talk about and I couldn't even relate you know, I didn't have one, and I didn't understand and know what the games were. So, for one Christmas, I finally got a Nintendo watch. It was a watch. It was like, you know, it was a decent size face. It told the time. It had an alarm. It had Super Mario on it. And it had a little game. If you took the watch off, you could play a little Super Mario game. And I was like... Finally, I'm in the in crowd. It's not a real Nintendo, but it's a Nintendo watch. And so I went to school with my Nintendo watch and it was even worse to not have a Nintendo and to have a Nintendo watch. I really was made fun of people. Like I I wasn't in the in crowd anymore and I felt like such an outsider and you know how ruthless kids can be. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you didn't belong? You felt like you were the outsider? Have you ever felt that way? You know, I think one of the things, it's its so common across human existence to feel excluded at times, right? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like the outsider? Like you didn't belong? Like you weren't wanted? It's so common, you know, that it feels like a fact of life to be an outsider, you know, but God has called those of us who follow Jesus to think differently about outsiders. We began this series called Core a couple of weeks ago, and the idea behind the series is that as people, we need to be reminded of who we are frequently. We need to be reminded of the story that we're a part of because it's out of this story that we make sense of our lives. And so a few weeks ago when we began this series, we, we began by looking at the grand story of Scripture. We looked to, And what we said is that in following Jesus, we have been grafted 
into a story that God is telling. That that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that God has brought you into his story. Then in the second week, we talked about the mission of the church, and especially the mission of Vineyard Altoona, which also fits within this story. And the mission of Vineyard Altoona is to equip people to release the kingdom of God wherever they are. And so if you miss those, you know, when this is over, go back. You can find them on our YouTube channel or our podcast. But that'll set this whole series in context. And then last week, we zeroed in on our core values. And what I told you is that core values give us clarity about how we engage in our mission. And so core values dictate behavior. They tell us how we behave, and as followers of Jesus, we take our behavior direction from Scripture. And so last week I told you that we have three core values, and last week we began by talking about our first core value, which is we join what God is doing. This week we're going to talk about our second core value, which is we highly value the outsider. And next week uh, Evan's going to talk about our third core value, which is we pursue wholeness with authenticity. So we're going to begin today talking about our value. We highly value the outsider. Would you pray with me? And then we'll begin. So Lord, we do welcome you into this time and into this space. And God, we ask that you would inhabit our places wherever we are. Lord, wherever people are hearing my voice, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come here now, even as I speak? Would you put your words in my mouth? God, I pray that that the words I speak would be life to those who feel like outsiders. God, I pray that the words I speak would be life to those who follow you. So would you empower me to speak as I should? And Lord, I pray that you would give gifts of faith in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going we're gonna to continue this, this core values discussion. And like I said, core values for Christians come from the Bible. We don't sort of make up core values. You know, you hear people say, well, our core values are integrity, honesty, respect, and all these other things. And those are great things. Don't mishear me. But as Christians, we take our direction from Scripture. And one of the things about core values for Christians is that you can find them cover to cover in the Bible. The the things that we live out are, are found all through Scripture. It makes it really hard to preach from just one passage because we we find it everywhere. And that's true of our value that we value the outsider. We highly value the outsider. It's definitely true. Throughout scripture, what we find over and over and over is that God highly values the outsider. But the thing that we need to start by saying as we talk about this value, the thing that we have to begin by saying is the idea that anyone would be an outsider It comes from sin. It's a consequence of sin. It's not inherent in creation. God did not create some people and then create the outsiders. God created all people 
in his image, that we were all to be a community of image bearers in the world. And I told you what that means back in the first uh, message in this series. You can go back and listen to that. But the human propensity, our, our, our seemingly natural propensity to turn people into outsiders comes because of sin. It comes because things in the world are not as they should be. You know, when you read the creation story in Genesis, nothing goes wrong until sin enters the world. In Genesis 3, sin enters the world, and then after that, everything spirals out of control, and in the next chapter, Cain and Abel become pitted against each other, and of course, Cain kills Abel, and it doesn't get better. Then in our Wednesday night small group, one of the things that, that Dylan always says, uh, Dylan, I hope you, you hear this. <laughs> this is your shout out. Uh, but one of the things as we're reading through Genesis that Dylan always says, and then things got worse and all, everything went wrong. And that's the way it works, that sin happens and all of a sudden people become pitted against each other and we other people. We create outsiders. But if you fast forward from Genesis to the other end of the Bible, to Revelation, one of the things that we discover is that when the kingdom of God comes fully, when God gets his way, when his perfect rule and reign happens on the earth, the idea of people as outsiders is gone that groups are not pitted against one another, that all nations, tribes, tongues are represented in the kingdom, that, that people from all nations become kingdom people. The idea of the outsider is gone. So if sin creates outsiders, and at the other end of scripture, the idea that people would be outsiders is gone, something happens in the middle. What happens? Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. And in Ephesians chapter 2, actually the whole book of Ephesians is written by Paul, who planted the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus is made up of Jews who were historically known as God's people. And God's people othered everyone else. So everyone else was the Gentiles. It was the Jews who were the in crowd and the Gentiles. And so this church though, planted by Paul, is made up of both people. And here's what he says in Ephesians 2. And I want you to follow along with me here. Ephesians 2, we're going to begin in verse 11. And here's what we read. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, remember that's the other people, Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, recognize that othering always results in name calling. We try to put people down by calling them names. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcised ones, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ 
excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So Paul is making this point that he says in the middle of history, Jesus Christ died. What changed? Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? He died to break down the dividing walls between people. There were the Jews who were God's people and the pagan everyone else. And what Paul says is that Jesus died to make one humanity out of all the separated people. That was what changed. That God is creating one new humanity that there wouldn't be an other. He says all over the place. That's why Paul cares so much about unity. If you read all through Paul's letters in the New Testament, one of the biggest things that he talks about consistently is the unity of the church. Why? Because Jesus paid for unity with his blood. That there would not be an other. He says there's never neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a statement of what has happened in Christ. That's the thing. Jesus did all of this. Why? Because he values highly the outsider. And he welcomes the outsider in. That's why. That's what Paul says here. The reason this matters, some of you might be wondering, the reason this matters is because for those of us who follow Jesus, we are part of God's new humanity, and we exist in the family business of bringing the outsider near, of bringing people into relationship with Christ. We understand that humans' sinful tendency to make some people outsiders is contrary to God's will. And so our role is to participate in bringing the outsider near, which means we can't be satisfied with just gathering with like-minded people. The church should not be people who are all the same. God himself highly values and invites the outsider, and we who are followers of Jesus ought to do the same. What this means 
is that the church should increasingly be a reflection of that reality living forward. If we look in Revelation and we see that every tribe, tongue, and nation is represented there, we don't just wait for that to become a reality magically somewhere. We who follow Jesus are kingdom people. We release the rule and reign of God. We release the kingdom of God wherever we are. We are people who live in that reality now. That's what it is to be kingdom people, that we highly value the outsider. Why? Not because we think it's some cool, trendy thing to do. We highly value the outsider because God highly values the outsider. And because when the kingdom comes fully, that's what it looks like, that there is no outsider. That's the kingdom. That's how this works. That's our mission is to reach people who are far off and to bring in the outsider. And we do that by highly valuing those people that would be othered, that would be cast out as outsiders. Listen, Vineyard Altoona should be a body of people that makes the world say, how is it that people from different political views and different races and different genders and different socioeconomic statuses, how is it that they exist with one another, they live, work, and play together, and they love one another? How does this happen? God must be among you. Because nowhere else in the world do we see this. That's what this community should be. God must surely be among them. Because what else would bring together such a diverse group of people? The Bible has a word for this. And that word is hospitality. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about being people of hospitality, what it literally means is to love the stranger to love the outsider. Literally, hospitality is to love the outsider. That's what it is. To be a follower of Jesus means to radically love those who are not already in. You know, the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. That we exist not for ourselves, but for the world, for Christ and the world. That's what it is. It's so critical, hospitality is so critical. Loving the other, loving the stranger is so critical to those who follow Jesus that Paul, when he talks about the non-negotiables of leadership, he places hospitality as a non-negotiable. He doesn't place memorization of the whole Bible. He doesn't place uh, being able to speak and read fluently in Koine Greek, hospitality is a non-negotiable. Why? Why is it a non-negotiable? Because what Paul knows is that if you lead people and you're not hospitable, they will not become hospitable. And so Paul says, in essence, if you do not live into hospitality, if you are not a hospitable person, if you don't love the outsider and love the stranger, you are unfit to lead God's people. That's what Paul says. That loving the outsider, loving the stranger is not negotiable for those who follow Jesus. 
This is our hope. This is our aim. This is the goal that we're trying to live into. It's what we're after, that we would be the kind of people who would intentionally create hospitality for those in the world who get labeled as outsiders. That's our invitation. I'm invited to that. You're invited to that. Unfortunately, it's not really all that common, is it? We don't exactly see this all over our culture. We don't see people often welcoming outsiders. Even within the church, we tend to see that we're not very welcoming to outsiders. Uh, Francis Chan, some of you know that name. Francis Chan said that a lot of times the church has been the most divisive people in the world. That, that we don't even get it right a lot of times. We tend to be comfortable talking about the lost. And when we say that, what we mean is those who don't have relationship with Jesus. We're comfortable talking about that. We're comfortable talking about inviting them to hear the gospel, to hear the good news that Jesus has rescued them. We're comfortable talking about that. And, and we can talk about inviting them to church. But as soon as we talk about Anyone else who might be considered an outsider, so often the church sounds like the world. We sound just like the world. I want to give a couple of examples, but let me give a little disclaimer before I do, because here's the thing. My, my intent is not to throw rocks at the church. My intent is not to throw rocks. My intent really is to hold up a mirror in front of us and say, what do we look like? And I understand that sometimes when you hold up a mirror, you know, I, <clears throat> I've been uh, overweight much of my life and have been always trying to fix that for much of my life. And looking in the mirror hurts a lot of times. But looking in the mirror is how I discover that something needs to change. And I think that's, that's my intent as I share these examples in the church about how we seem to not live up to this. You know, all through Scripture, so I guess what I'm saying is, please receive this in love. All through Scripture, welcome and care for the immigrant is like, it's a staple for God's people. You know, in the Old Testament, when God rescues the, the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he over and over says, you too ought to welcome and care for the immigrant because you were immigrants, because you were foreigners, that God always calls his people to care for the immigrant. And yet some of the hardest stances on immigration that I've heard in this country have come from people who claim to follow Jesus. Why should we who have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ abandon our role in the world to extend welcome and hospitality to immigrants? Why should we abandon it and leave it to secular organizations? Why is that? Why does it get labeled a liberal issue to be in favor and to care for the immigrant? Why? Jesus calls us to love the immigrant. We are God's people. The kingdom of God demands that we exercise hospitality to the immigrant. It doesn't mean you have to sign up to be a Democrat. This is just a kingdom value. 
Or let me give you another one. Do you, <laughs> do you think we can take it? I mean, I'm trying not to punch everybody in the eye at the same time. You know, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. And, and when our black and brown brothers and sisters are mistreated and killed by police, when preachers speak up and they call out the injustice and they call on the church to lean into her identity as someone who is a reconciliation people, someone who, who cares for the outsider, what we get told is to just stick to the main and plain of scripture and the gospel. What is more main and plain to scripture and to the gospel than unity and reconciliation between people and races who have fractured relationships? What else is there? That's the essence of the gospel. Why should we concede care and concern for a race of people to secular organizations and secular movements when we stand for the resurrected Christ who died so that people could be welcomed? Why should we abandon our post? We shouldn't. Gino Olison is a, a vineyard pastor in, in the Chicago area that I respect and appreciate. He says that ch the church is supposed to be higher education in loving people we did not choose. That there's supposed to be something about being part of the family of God that puts us close enough to people that we wouldn't otherwise choose, that we learn to love people that we did not choose. How are we who have been recipients of the magnificent grace of Jesus Christ making active steps to hospitably engage with those around us from different races? Listen, I say this in love because this is a place in America where we as the church have missed it. Over and over and over we've missed it and our preachers have died as martyrs on the, the throne of safety and comfort because it makes us uncomfortable to talk about these things. But here's the thing, friends. We have to be faithful to Jesus and he has called us to this. God cares for these people. That's the essence of what it is to follow Jesus. I mean, I could continue, but I think you get the point. Here's the problem. We can't naturally do this. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for telling us something we can't do and making us feel really, really bad about it. We can't do this. Our broken humanity will always tend to separate and to create others and outsiders. It always happens. The only way we get free is by the gospel. That's the only way we get free. Here's, here's why. The reason we other people is because we fear that if someone else has more value, that somehow we have less. We other people because we're afraid that if we acknowledge the value that God has given that person, that somehow that makes us less valuable and less loved. But the gospel says that no matter who you are, or what you've done, you have infinite worth and value because Jesus Christ was willing to die for you and for me. That we all have infinite value. Your value and your worth is not tied up in what people think or in being better than somebody else. 
Your value comes from Christ. Your value and worth are solely given by God. And he said, you are worth dying for. Until you understand the gospel, you'll never be able to highly value the outsider because you'll always be trying to establish yourself in some pecking order. You'll always be trying to shore up your value by being better than somebody else. Until you understand that in spite of your brokenness, Christ was willing to die for you, until you understand that your salvation doesn't come because of your gender or your race or your ethnicity or your socioeconomic status or your political party, until you understand that, that it only comes from the grace of Christ, you'll always be stuck in the rat race of trying to make yourself better than others. But friends, when we understand that we're saved by grace and we understand that our value isn't tied up in being better than other people. It sets you free to prefer others to yourself. It sets you free to welcome people who are different than you. And it sets you free to call out and, and appreciate and embrace those things that God so highly values in another. We at Vineyard Altoona want to be the kind of people who highly value the outsider because God values the outsider. That's the essence of the gospel. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.